0: Do you want to learn more about the latest science in reproductive medicine? Explore content from the Fertility and Sterility family of journals, including the newest journals, FNS Reviews, FNS Science, and FNS Reports, all included in your ASRM membership. For even more content, follow Fertility and Sterility on social media, listen to the FNS On Air podcast, and participate in the Journal Club Global and FNS webinar series. To learn more about the Fertility and Sterility family of journals and its multimedia content options, visit fertstert.org. That's F E R T S T E R T.org. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're talking about matters and issues regarding infertility in the LGBTQIA community. Our guest is Dr. Quentin Catler, a reproductive endocrinologist from Shady Grove Fertility in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Catler, welcome to ASRM today.
1: Thanks, Jeff, for having me.
0: So I want to start by asking, why are you interested in advocating for LGBTQIA plus fertility care specifically? Sort of what led you to, to this in your career?
1: Sure, I'm happy to answer that. And thank you, first and foremost, for having me. I'm a huge fan of this program, so it's an absolute honor. You can call me Quinn. I'm Quinn Catler. I'm a reproductive endocrinologist and an infertility doctor practicing here in Atlanta, Georgia at SGF Fertility so lgbtqia plus family building it's definitely a passion of mine not only because i identify as lgbtq but i understand firsthand the unique struggles of family building as a queer person and i think there's a lot of misconceptions about caring for lgbtqia plus patients in a fertility setting and i'd like to preface by saying i think we've made enormous strides in our field in providing access to care for these patients however there's still a lot that we can learn and a lot that we can accomplish as providers to as well as as staff members to help create a really a more inclusive and accepting environment for these patients, um, patients really from the diversity of gender and sexual identity.
0: Well, when we speak about issues, what are some issues that are unique then to treating couples?
1: Sure. That's a great question, Jeffrey. So I would say from a big picture point of view, there's several issues that come to mind. And it's interesting that we started this conversation by identifying LGBTQ plus or IA plus um, as an umbrella term. Clinics and providers can fall into this habit of grouping all LGBTQIA plus patients under this homogenous group title. And I always like to remind myself and remind uh, my colleagues that each of those letters within that acronym has its own barriers, their own journeys, their own challenges, and really important considerations for family building and reproductive care. Second is that of all the patients that are seeking out assisted reproductive technology, especially those patients of ours that are seeking out uh, reproduction using third-party reproduction, so donor sperm or donor egg, All of these patients face significant barriers to care. They have uncertainty about their biologic connectedness to that child. They face challenges regarding disclosure to their child. I would argue that LGBTQIA+ patients they face these barriers, plus they face really long, longer-lasting and historically derived barriers. So they have issues relating to self-identity, issues relating to internal feelings of questioning their ability to be a parent as a queer person they struggle with feelings of internalized homophobia societal homophobia they also struggle with restrictions in terms of access to care for with providers that have cultural competency and i also would argue that lgbtqia patients also have unique choices to make when it comes to the path to parenthood of which a lot of the ethical implications can't and shouldn't be ignored, such as who's going to carry the child, which partner is going to go first, whose sperm to use, whose egg to use. These are emotional considerations that can play a a deeply challenging role um, in this person or this couple's path to parenthood.
0: Are there specific strategies then that providers... Can use to improve their own awareness, you know, and sensitivity to to these barriers that you're talking about that that patients are coming in with. Are there any that you that you know specifically of that you can talk about?
1: Sure, that's a great question. So, I'd like to think that we're all learners and all are willing to embrace change and improving our own competence and familiarity and and taking care of patients from the diversity of backgrounds and one way specifically that we can think about this here is that physicians as well as the clinic leadership can help to foster education and training by finding passionate providers within their own clinics or staff members that can really help to educate the clinic staff about some of the barriers for lgbtqia plus patients Um, one such example is by providing diversity and inclusion training for all of the staff members Um, and this really can be implemented in order to help normalize more of a neutral, inclusive patient environment. You know, I think what I find helpful is actually having tangible examples of different ways that we can improve access to care for this population. And as an eternal optimist, the great news is that providing culturally competent care for this patient population is is very achievable. And I like to think think of it as being the result of a contribution of a lot of small changes i would like to say that i could dedicate an entire podcast episode to just this topic but just kind of thinking about some very high level tangible achievable um, examples that could potentially be helpful for our listeners so within the clinic itself some different strategies that a clinic can potentially consider incorporating are incorporating inclusive language more specifically, with the intake process. So, neutral language and inclusive language should be standardized at all patient touch points. So, this is both on the clinic website, for the operator of the telephone line, for the front desk, for the medical assistants, for the phlebotomists, as well as the financial team. The intake staff can also consider inquiring into every single patient's preferred pronouns. And not just those that are suspected to be of lgbtqia plus identification and i think that practicing this gender neutral communication can be hugely important as all of us staff members can fall into the habit of instinctively and by default saying he or she for his or her appointment for example or what is your husband's name or your wife's name and changing this into more of a neutral conversation, such as, do you have a partner is one example. Other kind of touch points that I like to think about are the infrastructure itself within the clinic. So gender neutral signage is becoming more common. It's also very welcoming and inclusive when you have a physical display of inclusivity within the um, waiting room, for instance. So including LGBTQIA plus brochures in the waiting room, um, that can create a very welcoming atmosphere you can also have an lgbtqia plus flag displayed um, you can also display a patient bill of rights other things that we incorporate are including local lgbtqia plus clinic resources for other community clinics that could provide comprehensive care for this community um, and displaying that in the waiting room There are other touch points in the clinic that can be considered. So incorporating more of a gender neutral language on physical pieces of paper. So anything from the invoices that they receive to their intake forms, to their consent forms, these are all touch points that could be standardized. I think it's also important to think about marketing. Um, And I hear this from patients very routinely. Patients can find their providers and seek out care largely from a marketing standpoint and how clinics are presenting themselves online and through social media. So it's a strong touch point that can promote LGBTQIA visibility as well as inclusivity um, just through marketing advertisements. The providers themselves can also think about this in terms of how they're interacting with other community leaders. So very oftentimes these patients are seeking care with other specialties and other um, areas of medicine. So one way to facilitate LGBTQIA plus medical care is to aligning aligning themselves with other providers that can collaborate in a culturally and a gender and sexual health inviting atmosphere. So things that I like to think about are other LGBTQIA plus friendly OBGYNs, urologists, minimally invasive gynecologic surgeons, as well as mental health specialists. And Jeffrey, the last thing I like to think about, which is probably the most overlooked option is actually seeking out feedback directly from these patients. So actually talking to the patients and seeing where are the touch points that they feel uncomfortable with or where are the touch points on their fertility journey that they think that the clinic or the provider can improve upon um, because truly they're the best gauge for areas that are weakness that could potentially be improved upon
0: and i, I want to go back cuz you you're mentioning all these what what would what, what seem you know uh such simple things right like we can just put things up in our uh, you know in in our in the uh, uh waiting rooms and things of this nature to 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 create uh, a sense of, you know, a, a better sense of inclu- inclusivity. But I, I want to ask about a major question that comes up about financial barriers. You know, what what are some of the financial barriers to care for, for LGBTQIA plus patients?
1: Sure. That's a hugely important question and a hugely important piece of this whole puzzle. So what we do know is that these financial barriers disproportionately impact LGBTQIA plus patients. And this is largely due to the medical landscape in which we practice re- reproductive medicine and the fact that largely insurance-driven care is centered on the binary cisgender heteromor- heteronormative couple. So for instance, most insurance policies and states in which reproductive endocrinologists are practicing in a mandated state type of a setting Oftentimes fertility treatment is utilized by heterosexual couples where the definition of infertility relies on six to 12 months of unprotected intercourse. So just based on that definition, many insurance policies exclude those patients and those couples that require donor gametes in order to conceive. So for instance, with same-sex male and same-sex female couples, third-party reproduction is largely cost-prohibitive for a lot of couples that don't have fertility benefits in their insurance plan. So, costs can really be a disproportionately negative influence when it comes to the ability of these patients to ultimately seek treatment. The silver lining and the good news is that this is very much on a national attention and a national um, spotlight. So, there have been local as well as national efforts that are being in place really across our country and a lot of progress in terms of revising these kind of more quote unquote heteronormative definitions of infertility and they're trying to broaden that definition of infertility to include patients that identify as lgbtqia
0: I want to make sure, too, before, because we're we're beginning to run a little bit short on time. Are there examples uh, that you can provide us with today of LGBTQIA plus family building resources that, that we can share out?
1: Yes, great question. There are lots of resources and there's lots of national nonprofit organizations that have a particular interest in catering to this community as well as trying to improve access to care some of which include the american society of reproductive medicine asrm the human rights campaign the family equality council is a very commonly used resource the national center for lesbian rights is common there's also a national lgbt health education center there are a lot of national programs that are really paving the way for increasing access to care and and improving education surrounding some of these unique considerations for this population when it comes to building their family.
0: And what we can do for, for everyone listening is that we can put some of those links or all of those links actually uh, in our show notes section so that we can, you know, people when they uh, listen to the program they can just go in and click on the links and find the information uh, uh, necessary. I I have one more question for you today. What would you like to see this year in, in 2023, as far as, next steps for infertility care for LGBTQIA plus population? And I know that's, I know that's a bit of a big, big question, but I was just curious to, to, while, while you're here, I, I wanted to to take the opportunity to ask you.
1: Sure. I think it's a very multifaceted answer, but, you know, I think in the end of the day, the more we can advocate for patients to have improved access to care, from a federal level, from an insurance mandated coverage level can only help. And I would like to think that a lot of these changes, as I alluded to earlier, they really could be thought of as the accumulation of very small, subtle changes that can really improve a patient's experience and make them feel more welcomed and more inclusive within a fertility clinic space. So I'd like to think that My goal is I'm hopeful that some of these small anecdotal examples of things that I think about to try to improve my own patient's experience can be implemented on a broader scale so that we can have a more of a a further reaching impact on, on patients that are coming to us at such a special time in their lives. And really just anything that we can do in the next year, in the next 10 years to make their experience that much more comfortable, really is my goal and ultimate satisfaction.
0: Well, I want to thank you for being able to be with us today. My guest today has been Dr. Quentin Catler, a reproductive endocrinologist from Shady Grove Fertility in Atlanta, Georgia. We have been discussing matters and issues regarding infertility in the LGBTQIA plus community. Quinn, thank you so much for uh, being able to join us.
1: Thank you, Jeffrey. I so appreciate you having me on here today. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I'm such a huge fan of this podcast and i appreciate you you prioritizing this conversation so thank you
0: you can rate subscribe and leave comments on the show through uh, apple google podbean or wherever you get your podcasting needs done you can uh, ask me questions by emailing asrm at asrm.org and until next time i'm dr jeffrey hayes and this is asrm today This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.